Hi, this is Cherise Kenyon and you're listening to the Beauty Me podcast all about beauty beyond the BS. This week I'm talking about sleep hygiene and how it influences not only the quantity and quality of our sleep, but also the quality of our work, relationships and more. In this episode, I'll be sharing some of my favourite podcasts, I'll be sharing expert insights, and I'll also be talking to a wellness expert, Simone Thomas, and finding out about her own sleep challenges. Later on in the episode, I'll also be sharing my four key tips that I've learned have helped me just sleep a little bit better and a little bit longer, and hopefully they work for you too. So first, let's just look at what sleep hygiene actually is. I know from the sound of it, it kind of sounds like something to do with washing your sheets. On a side note there, I recently heard that men in the UK only wash their sheets four times a year. Um, I don't know any men that do that. Um, That's a whole other episode. But yeah, it sounds pretty gross. You might think that sleep hygiene is something to do with like spraying your bedding or yourself or being extra clean before you get into bed. But actually, it's all about setting yourself up for a good night's sleep. I think the jury's still out on what a good night's sleep is, but I think the general rule is seven to eight hours a night. But as more and more information comes out, a lot of people are disputing that. I feel like The odd bad night's sleep is something that's pretty much inevitable for most of us, especially during times of stress, excitement or change. But for some of us, lack of sleep is a relentless issue and can really affect every aspect of our lives. At its worst, sleep deprivation can apparently affect our short and long term memory. It can make us moody and even depressed. It can heighten any anxiety issues. It can affect our sex drive, weaken our immunity, cause weight gain and more. In fact, the CDC, which is Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, has even said that if you get less than six hours sleep for two weeks in a row, it's equivalent to being drunk. So you're going to work drunk. Again, I feel like the hourly rate is still very much under discussion, but it seems that if you're getting less than six, it's a bad thing. What really got me thinking about sleep hygiene and sleep in general was just how much our nighttime behaviour can actually affect how we perform during the day. A lot of the time when we experience health issues, they tend to occur during the day. So it's easy to blame our daytime actions and habits, but we rarely question how our sleep, the quality of it or the lack of it, could be affecting our bodies and minds. And before I go on, I'd love to know how your sleep is right now. What kind of sleep are you getting right now? Let me know in the DMs at Beauty Me Podcast on Instagram or Twitter. One of the most well-known experts on the subject of sleep is author and professor Matt Walker, also known as the sleep diplomat. I think he calls himself that. He's appeared on multiple podcasts, including the Joe Rogan Experience, which has had over 8 million views on YouTube alone. And he also has his own Sleep Is Your Superpower TED Talk where he gives you lots of devastating facts about just how bad lack of sleep is for you. Basically, you'll find Matt Walker anywhere that's a platform for wellness discussion, specifically on sleep. In one of his YouTube videos, Matt says that sleep responds to regularity. He comments that while we use alarms to wake up, we don't use alarms to send us to bed at a regular time. Instead, our bedtime is almost left to fate. It depends on how much food we consume, whether we're going out that night, whether we want to stay up with Netflix or a book. We don't have any regular time. 
And that makes a lot of sense to me because if we don't pay attention to that sleep time, why would we develop any regularity in how much sleep we're getting? Another interesting tip Matt shared was that once we're up in the morning, we shouldn't stay in bed. We shouldn't stay in bed for any reason. Instead, we should get out of bed, do something different, move, perhaps make your coffee, have water. By getting out of bed, you set up the practice that gets your brain to realize that the bed is a place for sleep. It's not somewhere that you spend hours and minutes just lying there wide awake. Apparently, if we allow that to happen, we're telling our brain and bodies that bed is a place for being awake. So I would say Google Matt Walker and you will find so many tips. But also, I'm telling you to kind of do your own research, because when it comes to any expert that I ever mention on this show, I think it's really good for you as a listener to do your own research to see if this expert aligns with you and your lifestyle. I say this about Matt Walker in particular because he's increasingly coming under fire for some of his statements. Some people have called his research flimsy and even fabricated. And even the fourth richest man in the world, Bill Gates, took the time out to review Matt's commentary. One of my favourite health podcasts, Maintenance Phase, dedicated an entire episode to breaking down Matt's supposed sleep loss epidemic. And with their usual no BS approach, they began by saying that much of what Matt says in his book, Why We Sleep, isn't even true. There's a lot to unpack in that episode, as with all of the maintenance phase episodes, really, because the hosts, Aubrey Gordon and Michael Hobbs, really go in when it comes to researching each episode. It's such a good podcast to listen to if you're even remotely interested in wellness, because they will literally break down anything to do with wellness and the diet industry. So I highly suggest you give it a listen and I'll leave a link for you. However, although Bill Gates criticised Matt Walker's book, he also said that he found Why We Sleep fascinating and important. And I think that's where I'm going to leave it with Matt Walker. I haven't read the book myself, but I have read several articles by him and about him and watched several videos. And I do think there is a lot we can take from what he says. And at the very least, he's definitely got more people talking about sleep since the book came out in 2017. Another expert that I really like to listen to when I have the time is Andrew Huberman. His podcast, Huberman Lab, is definitely one for anyone who veers on the geeky side of science. And that includes sleep. If you've got a spare hour and 20 minutes, be sure to check out episode two on how to master your sleep and be more alert when awake. In this episode, Andrew talks about acknowledging and supporting our internal clocks. He talks about shift work and how damaging that can be long term. And he talks a lot about cortisol and other hormones, way more in depth than I ever could because he's a lot more qualified than I am. I really found Andrew's insights interesting, especially when he said that our mood, anxiety, learning problems, any issues with focusing, even our metabolism can be affected by light exposure. What he's saying is that too much bright light, especially once the evening rolls around, can literally, you know, it keeps our eyes open for longer. And it's telling our our brain that it's not time to sleep. We're just awake. We're just staying up longer and longer, whether it's using iPads, our phones, laptops. There's so much information in that one episode on sleep. So again, I'll share a link to the Huberman Lab for you. But that's enough of me kind of quoting experts. I thought... I needed to get somebody on this episode. So I spoke with Dorset-based Simone Thomas. 
She's a salon owner and nutrition and wellness expert. And I wanted to find out about her own sleep experiences. And as you'll hear, she's really upfront about becoming reliant on sleeping pills during a particularly stressful time of her life. I used to actually take Zopiclone, which is quite a well-known prescription medicated sleeping tablet. Um, And I took that after my mum passed away when I was 27. Um, But weirdly, when I was younger, when I was seven, when my father passed away, I had disturbed sleep. And I remember the nightmares even now from such a young age. Um, But yeah, I I did suffer when my mum had passed away. And I was on Zopiclone for quite a few years. In fact, They're, they're quite addictive of they they don't make you feel drowsy in the morning you just feel like you're able to like just get on with your day and feel amazing where if you take like night hole I'd always be like oh like a bit like a hangover um but yeah they, they're quite addictive so yeah I have definitely taken sleeping tablets in my life so what made so obviously you said they can be quite addictive did you reach a point where you're like no I need to get better sleep or did you eventually start sleeping better and just thought I can quit them? Yeah, I, it's really strange. I remember reading something about sleeping tablets and the effects that they can have on your long-term health and even um, like your neurological system. And my mother actually had motor neurons disease, which is a neurological illness. Um, and that was kind of the, the trigger point that I was like, actually, you know, there is a risk, you know, a very small percentage that I could end up with something like that, you know, in, in later in life. And I remember that being a real turning point. And I remember also, you know, kind of thinking, you know, one day it'd be nice to have children, maybe have a family if that's possible. And all of these things, as we know, obviously it has a massive knock on effect, you know, it can do long term. Um, but I do always remember taking them and thinking, God, you know, you wake up in the morning and you feel amazing. Like you don't feel drowsy, you just function and you feel like you've had the best 12 hours sleep, like you literally sleep like a baby. Um, but when you take other, you know, just over the counter general stuff, they really do make you feel quite drowsy. Um, so I think they're addictive in the sense that you can just literally function every morning, you know, and you don't realize that you're relying on them, if that makes sense. It does. It it makes me think you were probably just like getting on with stuff, doing great, but does that mean that you were well and healthy and getting quality sleep? Maybe not. No, no. Um, No, It was allowing you to function. Yeah, no, definitely. Literally, you were able to wake up, do the job that you had to do for that day. But then in your mind, you're thinking, well, even if I'm out till 2am, I'll take one of them because I know when I wake up at 8, I'm going to feel amazing. So it's, you know, you're kind of kidding yourself. It's not like you're necessarily having quality sleep, like you're saying, um, but you know that they're going to knock you out within half an hour. And I, I remember once taking them and went to bed early and my doorbell went. And I remember that stage of when you're waking up and then you're trying to get your body to function. And I remember my legs did not want to cooperate with the rest of me. Like I knew I needed to get out of bed um and yeah it took a while to get to the front door and you do you do feel really really dopey which let's say that there was an emergency and you needed to drive somewhere hence why a lot of them say you know do not operate machinery do not drive um definitely I mean you literally wouldn't be able to and I also remember I had um years ago I lived in uh Kingston upon Thames with my brother this was lovely passed away and I remember one morning having to get up really early um shot out of bed and my legs just went 
I just remember just like going on the floor. And I think it's that, you know, the brain, the body connection that that millisecond, it just hadn't kicked in. Um, and again, you know, when you do your research on, you know, sleeping tablets or long term use of anything, whether it's any prescription drug, you know, it can affect all of that. And I do remember just literally going flat on the floor. And I was, you know, it was only seconds, but those seconds felt like a few good minutes. And you think, oh, yeah, my your God, mind was running in a direction. <laughs> Oh my goodness. It's it's really interesting that you share that because when I was reading up about what lack of sleep can do, um, apparently the CDC, which is like the center of disease and preventative disease and prevention, one of those in the States, it said, if you were to have less than six hours sleep for two weeks in a row, you're basically drunk. It's like being drunk and you know, you're going to work functioning, taking the kids to school, going to work, but you're not 100% there and I found that so interesting because I feel in this culture more so pre-pandemic I think we're coming a bit more around to taking more care of ourselves since but do you remember when it'd be like oh yeah you know I'm so busy oh barely got any sleep last night how much sleep did you get oh I only got four hours and it's like a competition yeah um so I do think things have changed since the pandemic people are looking inwards a bit more but sleep is still that thing anything can disturb it excitement stress arguments family and you know in my case two boys (laughs) oh really yeah and it does where you're saying like disturb sleep for two weeks my um six-year-old just recently just got diagnosed with diabetes in January um and prior to that you know at home I would say for the last year the amount of disturbed sleep that I've had um and it did really affect me last year like you were saying you know you're functioning but you're feeling drunk I had issues with like low blood pressure um I was always feeling really dizzy quite top heavy like I was literally my body was too heavy for my feet um I kept walking into doors like into doorways just on one side um and I went for loads of neurological tests everything because obviously you know what you know my mother had um and I think a lot of it was coming down to a long period of time of disturbed sleep either my youngest coming in and sleeping on the bottom of my feet at night like a cat he just doesn't sleep next to me he decides to sleep at the bottom of me but that over time definitely takes its toll and there were things that I could link to that were literally poor quality sleep um, that I recently invested because I'm not into smart watches I just don't like constantly being alerted yeah. um, so I've just recently just invested in an aura ring um, oh, amazing yeah I'd, I'd had it a while wore it for a little bit and then just typically hadn't worn it and then recently because of Ashton and I just thought you know what I need to know if I'm actually getting good sleep when I am sleeping and how alert I am for the day to see if it's triggering these other things that I was noticing and it's amazing it's you know it's it's a lightweight ring but it's incredible with what it can tell you um and it tells you your readiness you know how alert you're going to be and gives you kind of prompts of you know things that you can do to kind of help you along the way as well I think that's interesting as well, because um, when I was looking for experts to come onto the show, I was focused, you know, on people, you know, sleep hygiene. And somebody came back to me and she was like, actually, I know someone that can talk to you more about being ready for the day because the focus is very much on sleep. But many of us might have the sleep and we're still not ready. We're still not alert. We're still not focused. Um, so that's interesting. I might do a part two that's more about being awake. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I think it's like in the morning, you know, they say, you know, breakfast is the the best meal of the day. Um, And it's not just from an energy point of view, it's just because of everything that your body has to do, whether it's a non-physical or a physical, or even things that we just don't even think about to regulate our immune system to fight off infection, you know, and I think, you know, you touched upon it a moment ago about COVID um, and lockdown. I think most of us have now come out more aware that we have to be selfish, you know, and we have to stand up to our bosses or to our family environment to say, you know what, I'm tired, I'm running on empty, I just need a bit of time out, or I need to adjust my day, because you're not going to get the better version of me, you know, and I think we're more vocal, and I think quite rightly so as well. It's good what you said um, about during the day, because again, when I've been reading about sleep, some people might think, well, yeah, I'm going to have that winding down period before bed, but actually, everything we do throughout the day is going to have a knock-on effect. Like if we don't hydrate, if we don't move, by the time nine o'clock, 10 o'clock comes around, you might have the best, you know, you might have the luxurious bath and have the the pillow spray and then you lie there and you can't sleep. And it might be because you had coffee at four o'clock. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, it's a bit like when you give your child ice cream after three o'clock or they go to a party that they think is a great idea. Oh, we're going to have a kid's party between four and six p.m. And at six p.m. the cake and they're bouncing on the walls at 10, 11, 12. And then they wake up the next day. They're tearful. They're moody. They're argumentative. And it's like you say, it's that process or what's in the body. Either there's too much sugar at night which causes sleep disturbances, no different to us or caffeine or nicotine or alcohol. Um, You know, and a lot of people, you know, like adults rely on alcohol. They think that's what helps them sleep. And the unwinding is I've done a great day at work. I'm going to crack open those beers or that bottle of wine. But then they're disturbed sleep, you know, or their skin's dry in the morning or they've got, you know, they wake up with a sore throat. It's because your immune system has been weakened because of your sleep routine, you know, what it is that you're doing to get to the bedroom you know and it's yeah. nice to have a nice bath and scented candles but if you're downstairs with a bottle of shabli and a, and a bar of chocolate well you're still going to be up at midnight or it's uh, very so hard <laughs> if there was one thing that you could advise someone to like start today you want to start having better sleep what's that one thing they could try to change or implement I would say definitely exercise I mean I know for me I have weeks where I just physically, for whatever reason, work becomes too busy or one of the children's ill. I feel by the end of the weekend that I just want to explode. I just don't feel like myself and mentally it destroys me. But I know if I go do a Pilates class in the morning, you know, at 10 a.m. on the reformer, I sleep like a baby and I haven't gone hard at it. I'm not sweating. I've not gone and done a 10K run. I'm not hit training with weights, but it's all about balance. Like everything in life, it's moderation, isn't it? It's that 80% good and then having that 20% when you can be naughty and, and have a treat. But exercise is so key. And I don't mean 10,000 steps a day. That should really just be maintenance. That's just general maintenance for the body. That is not cardiovascular exercise you know you need to raise your heart rate in some shape or form and even if that's just 15 minutes a day that's amazing and that is going to help with your hormones your hormones 75% of them are created in the gut 
So, you know, your gut links to your brain, it makes you feel happy, it makes you feel sad, it boosts your immune system, you know, and there's nothing nicer over time if you don't exercise to look in the mirror and think, God, actually, I feel good, you know, I've got more energy, I am sleeping better, and it all has a very, very positive effect, you know, and poor sleep, you know, can lead to depression, it can lead to anxiety, it can, like you said, you know, disrupt relationships, because it's how you feel, and then how you're responses to the outside world so all of it unfortunately can have a very positive effect but the tiny littlest imbalances can then over time build up like a jigsaw to be a bit of a negative effect so for me you know exercise is really really key and the great thing with exercise the more you exercise the more thirsty you become so then more water that you should drink which obviously you know water is really key and especially at night time because we do sweat our body does lose water volume, you know, and it helps you hydrate, you know, and there's nothing worse going to bed and waking up in the morning with what feels like grey or dull skin or, I mean, you look like you've gone out, you know, drinking that kind of look and you've got that puffy face, you know, but exercise is so key for, for so much, but mainly for the mind. It's, it's really about looking after your mind, you know, and that will look after the rest of you. If you'd like to know more about Simone's work, I'll leave links to her site and social media in the show notes. And you can check her out on Instagram at Simone Thomas Wellness. I'd love to hear more from you on this subject. Let me know if you've ever had issues with sleep or sleeping pills over at Beauty Me Podcast in the DMs or email me beautymepodcast at gmail.com. One thing that keeps coming up the more I look into sleep is that it's truly not just about quantity, it's also quality. But again, it seems that the experts have trouble kind of agreeing on what quality sleep really is. But one thing I have noticed is that there are quite a few apps available now that you can download to measure your sleep and the quality. And I feel that that can have an adverse effect Some of these apps encourage you to share your sleep information and it kind of becomes like a competition in much the same way that people might boast at work. Oh, um, you know, I only had four hours sleep last night. I think the opposite is happening. It's like, oh, I'm getting this much sleep. And I think it's easy to end up feeling like you're just in competition and it's another way to stress yourself out. I think it's way better if we set up small goals that feel manageable. So here I'm going to round up several of the key tips that pop up most often when we talk about sleep. A cooler temperature helps us to get to sleep and also stay asleep. When you're too warm, you often end up tossing and turning and just don't get to relax. Also, if you're someone that sets your heating to come on in the middle of the night or early in the morning, it's likely that you'll find yourself waking up at the same time. I personally find this very true. I would much prefer to be in a cooler room with the blankets kind of half off. Apparently, the ideal temperature for sleep is between 60 and 67 degrees Fahrenheit, which is around 15.6 to 19.4 degrees Celsius. I don't have a thermometer, but if you have one in your room or you're able to monitor the temperature, have a look. For me, it's just about keeping as much of my body out of the covers and keeping the window open. Next up, it's all to do with the position that you sleep in. Apparently, it can determine how long and how comfortably you sleep. 
And apparently most people choose to sleep in the fetal position, particularly women. Sleeping on your back is said to cause snoring. And I can vouch for that because my husband sleeps on his back. And I just end up poking him to make sure he rolls over and then the snoring stops. Sleeping on your face can cause neck pain and that's something I deal with. Um, Unfortunately, whichever way you sleep, it seems like there's going to be an issue. So again, I don't think there's any perfect way to sleep. I think it's just about looking at how you feel when you wake up and throughout the day. I'm a classic side sleeper, but it's like I have my legs in this kind of running position. And apparently it's not doing my face much good. I was gifted with an anti-aging memory foam Omnia pillow by Sleep and Glow. It's a brand known for its approach to sleep hygiene from weighted blankets to a pillow bra that's said to keep the neck and decolletage area wrinkle free. I haven't tried the bra. I don't think I would need it. But I do enjoy sleeping with the memory foam pillow. It's really firm. It's quite solid and blocky. And it has these rounded dips at each end, which are called face and shoulder cradles. And it's the area in between that's designated for your face. Basically, by sleeping kind of over these mounds, you reduce contact between your face and the pillow, preventing wrinkles and morning puffiness. So because your face hasn't been smushed against the pillow all night. On the Sleep and Glow website, they claim that by purchasing the pillow, which lasts for up to five years, you will save £2,500 on creams and 7500 on injections. I have no clue where they got those numbers from, but I will say one thing that the Omnia pillow has definitely helped me with is that I've had way less instances of waking up with an aching neck, which often kind of does this thing where it travels down my back. Instead, I'm sleeping face up more, positioned within the two cradles, and it means that I'm moving less and I don't up twisting my body as much. However, I do know that most nights I will slip into my preferred position on my side, so I can't comment right now on whether it's going to reduce any future wrinkles. We'll have to see. The third tip is all about setting the mood which should begin at least an hour before you go to bed. That means no phones, no electronics, no light, because it's only once it gets dark that melatonin, the sleep hormone, is triggered in our bodies. In that last hour before bed, it makes sense to avoid all electronics and, if you can, dim the lights. You could try blackout shades, which is something that I definitely really want once we move. But apparently you can get a similar effect by wearing an eye mask. I don't think I could because it would just irritate me. But the main thing is taking the light right down and letting your eyes and therefore your mind know that it's bedtime. For some of us, setting the mood is a bit more sensuous. It's about the bathing and our skincare rituals. So for you, it might be about deciding on a specific bedtime and building in some time for a long bath or a relaxing shower complete with all the body oils and the lotions. Other sensory additions could include a favourite candle, some comfy pyjamas or a silk slip and a spritz of your favourite fragrance. It's basically about getting you in the zone as much as possible for a good night's sleep. Finally, The fourth tip is to avoid outside influences. One thing that 
often mistaken as being something that could help us sleep is alcohol. I've done it myself, often thinking that one glass of red wine will help me, you know, because it does actually make me sleepy. So I think I kind of tell myself that red wine is going to get me ready for bed and help me, you know, get some hours in. But ultimately, a few hours later, I'll have woken up in bed and I will feel the alcohol kind of like warming up my system. I get hot. I want to throw the blankets off. So I know that ultimately alcohol is not good for me to get a good night's sleep. And it's probably the same for you. Another thing that I definitely overindulge in is caffeine. It's basically my drug of choice. It's how I start my day. It's how I treat myself after I've got through a chunk of work. And while I'm not someone that will drink coffee after two o'clock because caffeine can stay in your system and keep you up for about 12 hours. At the same time, though, I'm not someone that's going to quit drinking coffee. I saw somebody do that earlier today on TikTok and she just poured all this coffee down the sink. And I was just like, why? It's like, I enjoy it too much. I'm definitely not going to drink decaf either because it tastes like sweat. Don't ask me how I know. I'm just not into it. And as with many things, caffeine may well have a negative impact, but it's also been proven to have some health benefits. So again, I think it's down to you. Many of us can feel that caffeine helps us just feel ready for getting on with our day. I feel like it's down to us to look at what we do and not just before bedtime. It's about our daily routine, the habits that we have. Whatever we go through throughout the day, could well affect how we sleep. For instance, there's often a conversation around when we should go to the gym. For many of us, me included, I prefer to go to the gym anywhere from 6am to 9am because by the time 9pm rolls around, I am just ready for sleep. I've exhausted myself. Others believe that going to the gym in the evening after a long day's work is key to really tire the body out. But that can actually affect your ability to wind down because it's got you so engaged and moving it's kind of like the opposite to what you really want to do when you're trying to get ready for sleep this episode might not provide the solution for a good night's sleep for everyone or anyone but hopefully it's got you thinking and just being aware of what you do i'd love to know what you think i'd love to know how you sleep and and also what you thought of simone thomas's advice Please do take part in the poll that I've added on Spotify and I'll also post one on my Instagram stories at Beauty Me Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to go rate it on Apple and Spotify and be sure to sign up for my newsletter at beautymenotes.substack.com. I'll see you next time. <laughs>